Content warning, this episode contains discussions on abortion, depression, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Woo! That's a good one. Let's fuck it up. Today on this podcast, let's fuck it up. We're ready to get pumped. Nah, not really. I'm very tired. How are you? I'm fine. Um, You were telling me about Handmaid's Tale, and I still have one more episode to watch. Oh, my God. I can't get into the spoilers of Handmaid's Tale because... Obviously, it's coming out right now. I don't want to ruin it because I think it's one of those shows that um, it's so suspenseful and it's so good that you got to watch it episodically. And it's it's one of those shows. I think I, I stole my brother's Hulu account specifically so I could keep up with Handmaid's Tale. And I just – it's one of those shows that I can't believe how much I love. It just has everything for me. It ticks all the boxes. I For me, yes. I love it. Um, I can't believe how stressed out I get during it. Oh but I, you keep going back for more, you know? I, it gets me to do like tears. Like I just, I cry so much, but it feels so good to just be like emotional with these characters that I'm so invested in. I had to call in sick the other day and I was like, I'm going to catch up on Handmaid's Tale while I'm home. And then I think I texted you in the middle of the day because you were like, where are you at? Like what's going on? You burned through it so quick. I did. You got I, ahead of me for a day. Yeah. Uh, because like I, I stopped watching after season two just because I was so stressed out Yeah. Um, and finally went back to it and burned up until where we are now, which I think is season four. Um, yeah. I forget what episode. But anyways, yeah, I had to take a break that day because I was like, I was, my hands were going numb. Oh. Like I was very stressed. I definitely feel in season one and season two, there's a lot of like, you're like, are with the main character, June, where you have no idea what's going on. And so you feel very in the dark and it's very suspenseful. I love it. I definitely think it became one of my favorite shows of all time. Me too. I definitely think I completely understand where people are like, I can't watch that right now, especially in this political climate. Oh, I'm it's like, too oh, real. Yeah. Too close to home. It really is, especially everything that just happened in Texas with oh the abortion God. laws. And I'm just so devastated. I'm and, and like watching the show, it just shows me how like not in control of our own bodies we are. Oh, and yeah. And that just hits. Too close. It, and it's, it's all about the the baby or the fact that women can have babies as being like this determining factor of like women's worth. And that you see that again and again and again. And especially when we're in this like, I don't want to say we're in like a post-pandemic world, but we're kind of winding down from it. And we're seeing all these people who are like anti-mask and anti-vax, but then they're they're anti-choice. And it's like, but you're not, like, you're claiming to be pro-life, but you're not doing anything to like make people around you more safe. Right. You're not wearing a mask. You don't actually care about lives. Right. At all. And you're using it. And like the, how people can't get an abortion after six weeks. Like, are you fucking kidding me? That's just a late period. Right. That's like, you and, don't well, know you're pregnant. And it's a lot of men making decisions on women's bodies, which surprise, surprise. Right. Um, and it's just, yeah, there, there's no way that anyone can get an abortion after six weeks. Cause you also have to wait for the embryo and everything like that to be bigger so that they don't miss it during the abortion. Right. And anyone's reason to get an abortion is their own fucking reason. Right. And no one else's fuck like no one's goddamn business. Right. And I know we're preaching to the choir here, but outlawing our abor- abortion does not stop abortion. It stops women's right to get safe abortions. Correct. And that's fucked up and that's dangerous and it just goes to show that you're you're not you claim to be pro-life but you're not pro-life. You just like have this misguided sense of justice and you just think that oh, it's a baby and it's no, it's a clump of cells. It's like, also honestly. really interesting how they Stop caring about that baby's life as soon as they're born. Right. Like, so where's, there's that. Where's your want for education reform? Where's all your want for, like, 
LGBTQ. Children in cages. Like, where, where is your love for them? But because it's not about that, you're never pro-life to begin with. Anyways. I can see why The Handmaid's Tale is potentially triggering. Yes. It's just ah, God. too real. It, it's so fucking upsetting. And uh. But I will say something that I get from that show, and I think I texted you this while I was watching, is like, women are so goddamn resilient. Oh, my God. I get um, so emotional all the is, time. And I fucking love that part for specifically. Um, anyways, uh, before we get into it, yeah, let's, we have- let's stop talking about <laughs> sad things. This is a comedy podcast. Why did we do this? I don't know. Um, we have two new patrons. Amazing. So huge shout outs to our tigresses, uh, Cynthia and Elaine. Thank you, you so much. Thank you guys. I want you, you tigresses, you beautiful prowling tigresses. <laughs> My goodness. I, I would no, I would text you and not fall asleep on you. I wouldn't sleep through our date together. I would call you the next day. That's so much we love you. Also, uh, for anyone who hasn't visited our Patreon, there is new artwork up there, and it is a fucking delight. Yeah. And thank you so much to N Oodle Doodles for our artwork. That is at N dot Oodle dot Doodles. Yeah. You're a Oodles fucking amazing person. Yeah, thank you for making our like heavy metal band level art for our patreon it's so want, cool i still want that gorgus tank top would you wear a tigress tank top well I, you gotta fucking own it at this point <laughs> i get called a tigress so much that it's just a part of my psyche now <laughs> you know what you gotta reclaim the power this is what we call just taking back that power and and taking a name from a dude who ghosted you Let's just fucking jump into it. Yeah, let's just fucking jump into it. All right. friends and welcome to hear yet another episode of hate mail podcast it's a podcast where we read and talk about things that we find on the internet that we get upset about super healthy love it for us and my name is nora and i'm here with the mario 64 speedrun champion ellen hello i actually fucking we're talking about mario kart right no no never I mind said, did i say mario kart young you lady speedrun I, I thought said, it was the same oh my god steve got that reference right mm-hmm no well, one asked for Steve's opinion right now. Well, I did because it's bolstering my opinion, which is correct. <laughs> and I will do this. I will advocate for myself with others who agree with me till the day I die. Uh, no, no. What that means is you you do a video game as fast as you can and people find ways to exploit maps and cheat and they literally... Oh, I always look for the off-roading things. It's not Mario Kart, Ellen. Because <laughs> <Damn laughs> there's cheats in most of them. You know that, right? Oh. <sighs> I made you play Mario Kart for like two hours. I was really that one time. I was that was super fun. I, you are very good at Mario Kart. I, mean, I will say this. The worst everyone. part is that my partner is better and his best friend is better, and that infuriates me. 
Yeah, r- racing games take a knack that I just like don't have. I'm not very good at racing games. You're good at all the other games. Well, that I can play video games. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm like good at them because I don't really care to be good at them. Like, who am I competing with when I'm playing like my 600th run of Mass Effect? Like, it's just me and myself and my space friends really at that point, and I'm fine with that. You know, I've got yeah. nothing to prove to anyone. <laughs> so I'm bad. So when I play with other people, I'm like not very good because I've got no will to live. So I don't know. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but do you want to finish your thought about about mario kart or can i just can we just continue to we lie? just continue no okay. one cares but <laughs> i am really excited a few episodes ago it's probably more than a few at this point we talked about friendships and you have some yeah. shit for us well okay so the goal of this is we were talking about friendships because we talked so much about romantic and intimate relationships that I think it's so good to have conversations about friendships and healthy friendships and how beneficial that is because yeah. we as humans are complex and we need different types of socialization in like every aspect of our lives. Like everything I get from my partner, you can't expect to be to get everything emotionally from your romantic partner. And I think that expectation is kind of expected though. Like you're yeah. kind of, like I think I feel like society has this expectation of like when you're with someone, that person is your everything. Cause that's super romantic, right? But I don't think that that's super realistic. And I think that it's important to have friends that can fulfill parts of you that your romantic partner can't. Um, So the goal with this was we wanted to look at friendships and we wanted to talk about good examples of healthy friendships. Even what you just said, it reminds me of people who are like, well, you can only have one best friend, you know, and you can't expect all these things from one person in any situation of your life, your partner or Mm -hmm. your best friend. And it is absolutely okay to have multiple best friends who fulfill you in all these different ways why ellen do you have another best friend that you're not telling me about you are the bestest of friends Mm. well now i'm insecure no (laughs) i'm absolutely kidding you're right though like there's that whole thing of we we feel like we're only supposed to have like this is our person and this is our person for that but i i feel like that puts a lot of pressure because no one can live up to these standards of absolute perfection and absolute fulfillment. And so you're kind of just setting yourself up for disappointment. So my goal for what I want to talk about today, because I feel like it's something that um, we talk about a lot, just in the facts of we we get a lot of submissions and we get a lot of stories from women, and which is great. I love it. I, I think that the, the a lot of people listen to us are are women, and I love that. But I think that it's important to have this conversation about how men – and how that kind of plays into femininity or like feminism and kind of all of that stuff. Like it kind of all comes together and it kind of all affects like the bigger picture of like who we are as like happy, healthy and functional human beings. So I went into this with the goal of looking up and reading examples and stories from people who had, and by people, I mean like cishet white, not white guys, but like cishet dudes and like their relationships with each other and healthy friendships and how that benefits them and and like every aspect of their life. Um, Turns out, that it's not that simple, which okay. I was kind of shocked about because – so originally when I started looking into this, I started by talking to my guy friends. And I was like, let's talk about friendship, baby. And it ended up with with most of the guys I talked about, they kind of went into this – I hate to use the word like spiral, but they kind of would go down this path about why it's hard for them to have these friendships with other men because of toxic masculinity and how like their upbringing has made it very hard for them to get close to other guys without like because that like men are so conditioned to not be vulnerable and to not be weak and anything that even loosely resembles femininity is weakness um so to kick it off the one of the things that we talk about a lot on this episode is toxic masculinity and how it affects people and Oh, these guys are behaving this way because of toxic masculinity. Oh, but we've never talked about how it affects them. 
Right. Because it's all like feminism and toxic masculinity like affects everyone in such a negative way. So the Wikipedia definition of toxic masculinity, the concept of toxic masculinity is used in academic and media discussions of masculinity to refer to certain cultural norms that are associated with harm to society and to men themselves. Traditional stereotypes of men as socially dominant, along with related traits such as misogyny, homophobia, and other traits that can be considered toxic due to their part in promotion of violence, including sexual assault and domestic violence. The socialization of boys in patriarchal societies often normalizes violence, such as the saying, quote, boys will be boys in regards with bullying and aggression. Self-reliance and emotional repression are correlated with increased psychological problems in men, such as depression, increased stress, and substance abuse. Toxic masculine traits are characteristic of the unspoken code of behavior among men in prisons, where they exist in a part as response to the harsh conditions of prison life. Which I think is just like an overarching example of like when you have a bunch of men trying to function together in a society of just men. Mm. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk about that is because like we talk about it so much. So it's like I wanted to actually read a definition. Because when I was talking to people about it, like one of my friends started to tell me this story about when he was 10 years old. And he like went to Boy Scouts or some day camp. And he went away for the day. And when night came, he got super, super homesick and like was crying and like wanted to go home. So his parents came and got him. And his mother was like, you need to man up. You're such a mama's boy. Like, why are you crying? Man up. He was 10 years old. That's so sad. Right. And so when you, the thing that I kind of figured out is when you're kind of starting these conversations so young about be a man, you're therefore like setting up these walls where men can't be vulnerable. And then it's, it's very, very hard for them to get close to other people. Then I think it kind of morphs into the only people that they can get close with are their romantic partners, which in this case will be primarily women. But we'll get into that in a little bit. And it's just so sad when you think about that, especially when it comes to kids, like little boys who aren't allowed to cry. They're not allowed to talk about their feelings, you know, and this is just where it begins. Oh, yeah. That's like the common response to a, a child boy crying is stop crying. Girls cry. Boys don't cry. Which, like, you're just setting this, like, like, you're ingraining into their brains that it's not okay to have feelings because it makes you look weak. But why are we constantly talking about weakness like it's a bad thing? Well, I don't even think feelings are weak. And you have to learn how to process them. Right. And how you process them is by speaking them into existence, saying how you feel, and having people talk about them. And the thing that, like, I, I kind of was thinking about just in terms of, like, if you don't have healthy outlets to express your feelings because feelings are bad, then it kind of morphs into the only way I can get this out of my body is through violence because we accept men to be violent. And putting it into anger. And yeah. so then it's like angry outbursts. And that's why we're like super normalized to guys who have violent outbursts because that's just the way guys are. But it's like they're that way because society has kind of made them that way because there's no other outlet for these emotions because there's like we can't process it. We can't talk about it. You're not allowed to talk about this. Only girls cry. But you can be violent. It's okay for you to be violent because that's what men do. Men are violent. But I'm like, oh, my God, you everyone is just hurting themselves right? in this situation. Um, so that's, like, what I thought about with that. And uh, so, you know, because th- th- that plays into mental health, obviously. Then we start to go in the conversation of men not seeking, like, therapy and going to mental health because that's what, that's what women do. Like, women talk about their feelings. Feelings are for girls, not for boys. Um And so only 5% of men seek outpatient mental health services despite feeling lonelier than ever before. In a recent British study, 2.5 million men admitted to having no close friends. What's more, men conceal pain and illness at a much higher rate than women, and they are three times more likely than women to die by suicide. 
Black men face an added set of barriers, including systemic discrimination, racial stereotypes, and cultural stigma against mental illness. So, oh my God, I know. I'm sorry. It just was like, I know we want to talk about friendships because friendships are beautiful, but it's like, I, it was just so hard because I wanted, I was like on the Reddit threads. I was on Twitter, just like trying to find examples of guys talking about their friends in this way. But what I found was a Twitter thread that was called bro seeking bro. And it was like guys trying to like make connections online that way of like, I just want a dude who like, likes sports and talks about sports and like, blah, 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 blah. And of course there are always going to be people who are like, trolling it or trolling yeah. not like trolling it but one dude's like not mad at sex stuff you know i'm like maybe you should stay out of a thread that's like just for guys trying to make connections but it was like i'm in college and i'm just trying to like find someone to talk about i like sports and cars and it was just like it's cool that there's this like re outreach for it but it just was like it was also under the like it was slash bromance you know what i mean like that was the we, we like, you remember when we were in high school and guys would be like, no homo, and then they'd hug their yeah. friend? There was this whole like downplay of like intimate friendships. And it makes me think of, I had a, a close group of friends that I had in high school and it was a bunch of guys and they're still friends today, like best man at each other's weddings. Like I truly believe they had like super, and like continue to have super healthy like male friendships. Um, but like they would literally be like, no homo. And then they'd hug each other. And it would be like a good intimate hug. But they still had this like – and maybe they were just joking. Like it could have just been like a funny thing. It was 2005. But it's not funny. You know, like when you really sit down yeah. and think about it, it's not. Right. Because um, then that it, plays into just like overarching homophobia. Right. Yeah. And I think it's just like – oh, my God. Like I'm now going through everyone I ever have known ever, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Me too. Me too. And I'm just so sad. Sad because it, you know, we can sit here all day and be like, these fucking guys, this guy did this, and like, bro, call out your bros, right? You know, and if they're not even able to talk about their feelings, I don't know if they're gonna feel good about correcting behavior. And doesn't it all play into what we talk about? It yes. like starts at this, like, core, oh no, but then it's like, we're like, bros call out your bros. But then when you hear the like a British study shows 2.5 million men admit they have no close friends, that's a that's a huge number. Like, I just, I, I, and, and that's I think, one study, that's one study, yeah, and that's British men, you yeah. know, like, I don't, and I feel like, granted, and this is just like most of the studies I'm pulling for today are like Western world studies, um, but that's like one country, uh, and like. I think about the guys that I've dated and I can't really like they have friends, but they don't have like they don't like, have close friends like a you and me. Like right. I've never dated someone who had like a friend like I have you. And that like made me so sad. I like had that realization today. I was right. like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. I mean, because like one of my biggest red flags with anyone I date is if they don't have a close friend. I'm like, oh, <laughs> jokes on me, I guess, on this one. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Not I, jokes. I, I got very no. sad and I started laughing. No, it's okay. I mean, not jokes on you, but it's just kind of like, it's, I feel like for women, we're allowed to have close friends and we're allowed to hug our friends because no one looks at that weird. But it's like, we've cultivated the society where if guys hug guys, like you can't, like guys hug guys and they'll like pat each other's back. They try to make it like as non-touch. Non-intimate. Non-intimate, non-touch as possible. So as a result the whenever they get romantic partners like that person kind of carries all of that emotional fulfillment which it's always important to have a friend who you can connect with on every level like you need to have a guy friend who can relate to you in all the ways that like a female partner could not relate to you in 
Um, and it goes deeper than like, you like sports and I like sports. Let's talk about sports all we day. Talk like, about all the sports. Like it goes so much deeper than that. No. And you're, you're so right. And it, it also is more than just going to a concert together, more than just drinking together and be like, oh, that's Johnny. He just drinks too much. And like to the point mm-hmm. where he's vomiting and falls asleep on the couch and we make fun of him and draw on him. Right. Like, obviously there's something going on there. Like maybe you should oh, talk about it. Um, you know what I just thought of too. Mm. Um, this episode is obviously obviously coming out later than we are recording it, but at the time of this recording, there was you know like the Jackass crew, Bam Margera had like this whole like Instagram tirade about how like the Jackass crew abandoned him and butta butta butta, and like Steve O commented being like, "No, dude, like you have a problem and we love you and we're here for you, but we can't just like sit here and watch you kill yourself." Like it's, and that I just thought was like so beautiful that Steve O like I mean because you just I mean he's someone who's like a big advocate for sobriety and all that stuff but it's like that enabling behavior because no one wants to have the hard conversations it was so cool to see someone who's like the epitome of just peak like dumbass dude behavior for lack of a better term but you know and I just feel like seeing someone in that role kind of in embodying the characteristics of like loving friendship to your friend who is struggling I thought that was so cool. oh no such a good example yeah I yeah I'm like thinking back to all the guys I've dated and like they're close close quote unquote friends it's different it it is like there was this one time um so my big ex his best friend and I were sitting next to each other at a bar my ex wasn't there at the time when we were currently dating and he turns to me and he's like you guys should break up he's never gonna change oh no and you're not happy and you shouldn't deal with this he's never gonna change and it's not okay Flash forward, he never said anything to my ex of being like, you're treating her like shit. Get it together or like mm, end it. Yeah. You know, he he had enough insight. This particular man had enough insight to say something to me. Um, Never owned up to it later. Couldn't talk to his friend about his terrible behavior of like, you know, falling asleep in showers and having to be dragged out in the middle of the like night. Like a bad drunk. Right. Yeah. Like just never, you know? And right. that makes me like think about that almost of like men looking to women to be all of these things, but they can't have those hard conversations with his supposed best friend. Are you kidding? Right. You know? And I truly think that goes into so many of the conversations we have of why is this guy behaving like this and his friends aren't calling, like no one's calling him out. And it just kind of keeps that boys will be boys behavior going because like men don't want to be that man who quote rocks the boat because then you're othered and then you're making yourself emotionally vulnerable. And that's- well, I'm sure other guys will turn on them. Right. And just be like, and why are you saying these things? Like, why are you such a fucking pussy? Right. Like, like they use a lot of misogynistic, like bad language like that when they could have a friend who's speaking against, hey, Maybe don't harass that woman right there. Like, that's not funny. Right. But then I think there still is so much of a conversation of like, ah, that's just Brandon being Brandon. Right. He's, just, like a, he's just a dumbass drunk. Someone saying their feelings and people being like, oh, you're a pussy. Like, get over yeah. it. Drink up. It's this constantly. Like, yeah. Down, it's horrible. This constant downplay with humor. Um, I mean, you want to talk about like in media, like uh, Scrubs, for example, we have uh, JD and Turk, which is like a good example of really loving friendships and blah, blah, blah. However, in the musical episode, they sang a whole song called Guy Love because we have to make a joke about it because, like, we love each other, but in a totally manly way, Um, which is, like, and when that came out, it was a really funny bit. But I recently watched this not that long ago, and I was like, ooh. 
mm. homophobic, bad, and you don't need to make male friendships the brunt of a joke and you don't right. need to downplay it. Like it just is what it is. And like hug your friends and you don't need to make a joke about it. Right. And I know that's so easy for me to say as like a woman who hugs my friends all the time, but it's just that I feel like that level of affection is important in just human relationships. We're just a bunch of monkeys who want to hug, hug people and I think that's fine. Hug, I agree. Hug your monkey friends consensually. I love hugs. I know. I love hugs too. I like hugging you because you're so small. I can like rest my head right on top I of know, you. Like I my chin like, right on top of your let, head. On my head. Like sit on your chest. I'm like, this is nice. Well, I think about just in terms of like our friendship is like when we're sitting on the couch, you'll always just like put your feet on me or you'll just like lean your head on my shoulder. And I always have like loved that because I always just thought it was like so sweet and intimate because I was just like, I would, you wouldn't do that with just anyone. Right. I was like friendship it's just such a state <laughs> of nice yeah and it's such a state of comfort and safety and trust yeah. and trust yeah um and there's also i mean i've probably cried in front of you too many to count and vice versa i probably cried in front of you this morning i just don't remember because <laughs> it's so common but it's it's nice having that intimacy with people where you know they're not judging you they're here to listen and everyone goes through hard times Everyone does. And who else do you turn to? You can't always turn to your family. You can't always turn to your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, you know, and you should have your friends. Right. And if you don't feel comfortable to talk to your friends about, I'm going through a really hard time and I'm feeling really broken right now, how are you supposed to get over that to talk to like a professional who can help you? Because that's even more foreign and uncomfortable. Um, this is, you know, not to go totally too hard on this point, but like, uh, gender differences in suicide rates have been shown to be significant. There are different rates of completed suicides and suicidal behavior between males and females. While women often more have suicidal thoughts, men die by suicide more frequently. Um, globally, death by suicide occurred about eight, 1.8 times more often among men than women in 2008 and 1.7 times in 2015. So it has this like real awful fallout and people know this and people know the suffering of men, but why are we only having conversations about the suffering of men when it's used on a platform to downplay the suffering of women? Right. And, and that plays into everything you've already talked about of like toxic masculinity for sure. Um, and something that you just made me think of with how lonely men are reporting to be, especially in that one study, when you put it into terms of like maybe they got with a partner who couldn't be absolutely everything that they needed and they don't feel like they need to go to therapy but they really haven't had intimate relationships Mm -hmm. and then that partner leaves them and that's not the Mm -hmm. partner's fault like i'm just saying as like a general whole like putting all of these layers together it's very sad it's just very very depressing i mean it just plays into this like overarching picture of like men being violent because they don't they can't handle not having that person because that's all they have and they don't want to go through it again. Like it just, it all runs together and it starts from this like conversation of be a man to a 10 year old who's crying because he's homesick. Like that's really where it starts. And that's the core of it is like society, society. Mm -hmm. I've had a guy try and tell me that like, no, more boys just like the color blue and they're just more prone to science. That's why boys toys are blue and for smarter, you know, for, for guys. Right. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, you're stupid. I get it. But, like, also, who told you this? And how yeah. young were you to believe it and perpetuate it through the rest of your life that you're arguing with me when I say, no, a girl can use mechanics tools too, and boys can play with dolls, and it's 
fine. Oh yeah, the gender binary starts so young and it's so this is just goes to show how like damaging gender is. <laughs> and like we force these roles on people and like it's got everyone fucked up because you know uh, when a little girl wants to be a mechanic, we're like, oh, she's so cool. She's a tomboy. But if a little boy wants to wear dresses, like, oh, no. And then, like, all that homophobic rhetoric comes out. Yeah. And it's just – it really – and then it continues to fester and get to this problematic point where the only way that these boys who grew up into men, strong men, are also violent men and dangerous men. And it it just, like – and it's just it really it really just like it makes so much sense, I feel to me. It does. And I just I'm so sad. I know. I'm so sorry, but I just like felt like it was so good to kind of talk about what I found and just how it's no, it really is. important and how it's like a very big societal problem that men are facing because it affects them and it affects mental health. And as a result, it affects women because feminism and toxic masculinity is like everyone's fucking problem. And, like, everyone should care about it because it affects them in such adverse ways, in such dangerous ways. Like, yeah. yeah. So the majority of this article that I'm going to read quotes from is from Harper's Bazaar, and it was written by Melanie Hamlet um, in May of 2019. And the article is titled, Men Have No Friends and Women Bear the Burden. (laughs) (laughs) Which... I kind of disagree with that, uh, with a little bit of this article, but we'll talk about that kind of at the end of it. And it's a very long article. It's a good article. It's worth the read, but I'm kind of, I took some chunks out of it that really stuck out to me. So it starts with toxic masculinity and the persistent idea that feelings are a quote, female thing has left a generation of straight men stranded on emotionally stunted islands, unable to forge intimate relationships with other men. And it's women who are paying the price. Unlike women who are encouraged to foster deep platonic intimacy from a young age, American men with their puffed up chests, fist bumps, and awkward side hugs grow up believing that they should not only behave like stoic robots in front of their other men, but that women are the only people they're allowed to turn to for emotional support, if anyone at all. And as modern relationships continue to put pressure on the one to be the only one, where men cast their wives and girlfriends to play best friend, lover, career advisor, stylist, social secretary, emotional cheerleader, mom, to him, their future kids, or both... And eventually, on-call therapist minus the $200 an hour fee. This form of emotional gold digging is not only detrimental to men, it's exhausting an entire generation of women. Um, so a couple of things with that. The emotional gold digging comes from a tweet uh, by Aaron Rodgers that was like tweeted in June of 2016 that says, I want the term, quote, gold digger to include dudes who look for a woman who will do tons of emotional labor for them. <laughs> um But I guess kind of just with that intro, I think that intro is really good because it kind of shows how if you don't have other healthy relationships outside of your partner, that will always affect your relationship with that person. Um, I think it's like a little bit too binary. And then it's like when men do this, women suffer because like I think it's if you do that to your partner, your partner is going to crumble under the pressure that you're putting on them. Um, So that's like kind of my only critique on this article is it's a little bit too binary. And I think that you should want to have healthy friends for yourself, not just because you're worried about like upsetting your wife or putting strain on your wife like you should do it because it's really really good for you um so we're going to continue getting on to the rest of that article but for now shall we take a smoke break (laughs) we can't smoke you're coughing too much (coughs) oh wow let's take a walk oh the wine went down the wrong pipe but yes i'm ready let's go smoke let's take a smoke break Uh.
And we're back. And we're continuing with a super depressing topic. I'm so sorry. Apologies to all the men that I re-triggered in my research for this episode and my questions. We appreciate you. So we're continuing on with that Harper's Bazaar article. The next part continues. After several failed relationships, Scott Shepard realized that despite being an empathetic, self-aware guy, he was still missing a key element to his emotional health. A few good, wokish men. Previously, Shepard leaned heavily on women for emotional intimacy because, shocker, that's who he felt safest with. The problem was he became dependent on the woman he opened up to and kept repeating the cycle. I saw it really was me that was the problem. It didn't matter who the girl was, the same issues just kept coming up, admits the Portland, Oregon-based outdoor adventure leader. These old patterns are pretty deep. I needed support and intimacy that wasn't tied up into one relationship. So Shepard turned to the internet, downloaded a men's group manual, and invited a few guy friends who he knew would be receptive. He kept the membership at eight and set up a structure with very clear boundaries. The most important being, what's talked about in men's group stays in men's group. Like Fight Club. Gotta keep it safe, man. And I feel like if you create an environment where people feel safe and comfortable, they'll open up. Continuing. Each meeting starts with a five-minute meditation followed by discussions on everything from how to deal with difficulties in romantic relationships to talking through problems at work. Shepard describes it as, quote, pretty powerful to sit in a group of men as one or more of them breaks down crying. It's healthy not only for the men being so vulnerable, but for one sitting there bearing witness to it, holding the safe space for him to cry in, he explains. As a man, you're not taught to listen. Just get busy trying to fix things. You can't cry. Only get mad. This group changed that. They're starting to see that embracing these things we've rejected out of fear of being called gay or a pussy are actually huge acts of courage. At first, Shepard thought his men's group would be a place to unload on someone other than to a woman, but it's become more than that, something he believes all men truly want and need but can't admit it. In our culture, men have always found ways to be near each other, but it's never been centered around feelings, he explains. Men are taught the remedy to heartbreak is to get drunk with your buddies, objectify women, and go out and get laid, to basically distance yourself from your feelings and channel them into an aggressive outlet. We use sports as an excuse to bump up against each other. So desperate we are for human touch and intimacy. But this kind of closeness is based in camaraderie and aggression, not vulnerability and trust. The former is very surface level and not nearly as satisfying as the latter. Shepard has learned there's some things you process with a partner, but other things that are much healthier to process outside the relationship. Instead of running away or making extreme statements like, quote, I'm afraid this isn't working, he's learned it's best to first talk with healthy, honest men to get clarity and then come back and say, here's what I'm struggling with. Checking in. Ellen, how are you doing? I'm so sad. Um. <laughs> I know. It's just when you have a close, like, intimate friendship and you hear that so many people don't have that, it's like, oh. I know. And I think it's also amazing that this person made a group that was safe and that they were able to do these things. And my first thought in listening to what this man had to say was there's probably other men hearing this or reading this and being like, God, what a pussy. Yeah. You know, and it's and it, because they, they're so quick to distance themselves from anything that is vulnerable as seeing it as like weakness. Mm-hmm. Um. And that makes me really sad. It just, you know, I, know. I, I. The fear of being weak is just really eliminating well, so much like paths to happiness. Yeah. And it's also these fears of being gay because, you know, homophobia huh. is a whole fucking thing um, or being weak like a girl. And like, yeah, that's a lot of misogyny. And it's 
I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going to try and keep it all until final thoughts. <laughs> but like, I'm just really sitting here and being like, oh my God. I know. And here I was just, this is what I found after trying to find happy stories. I'm so sorry. We were like <laughs> dividing like the female, female platonic friendships and the male, male platonic friendship episodes. And you were like, I'll do male. And I was like, oh, that's probably going to be better. Oh, this uh, is really depressing. It's very sad. It's very sad. It's very <laughs> difficult for people. You, you're doing great, though. Let's do this. Thank you. Yeah. So we'll continue on. Shame, researcher Brene Brown has found in her years of research, is the single biggest cause of toxic masculinity. Whereas women experience shame when they fail to meet unrealistic, conflicting expectations, men become consumed with shame for showing signs of weakness. Since vulnerability is, unfortunately, still perceived as weakness instead of a strength, having hard conversations that involve vulnerability is something men often try to avoid. It's for this reason that to yield positive results from men's support groups, men must enter such groups with that very intention, not just to find buddies. Whether they're members of small groups or more mainstream groups, the men I spoke to all agreed on one thing, that these groups made them better partners to the women in their lives. And it's not just men saying this. I witnessed my friend Liz's marriage strengthen after her husband, Randy, co-founded a men's group with his best friend three years ago that offers a confidential, neutral space for men in their isolated New England town to share their fears without judgment. This isn't him going to grab a beer with guys. He's going to find psychological and emotional support from men who understand his problem, Liz explains. They're not just getting together to have a bitch fest, gossip, or complain about their lives. They're super intentional about what they're talking about, why, and what's important to them. Shepard has realized how important it is for men to start redefining what it means to be a, quote, good man to the woman in their lives. He believes men are having a reckoning right now, not just with their past wrongs, both individually and collectively, as we've seen with the hashtag MeToo and Time's Up movement, but with who they are and want to be. Our culture pits men against women and makes it impossible for men to feel anything but shame if they act too feminine in front of other men, he says. But some men are recognizing that internally they aren't nearly as strong as they think they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fuck. <laughs> yeah, and it just, I mean, one of the things too is we, you don't see many examples of like, cishet male friendships in a way like when we see it on tv i feel like so many people like create the problem and continue the problem by being like look at them they're gay like look at sam and frodo and lord of the rings oh wait hang on though because lord of the rings is some of the best male platonic friendships ever portrayed and everyone says they're gay i know and it's like talk it's like literally like aragorn kisses boromir on the head because boromir literally took 16 arrows to the chest to save mary and pippin from the urukai and then we're like, that's gay. And it's like, how can you ruin such a beautiful thing with your homophobia? What a dumb question I ask because people are terrible and society is terrible. But it's like, yeah, it's like we literally have to like, as a society, feel the compulsion to deflect male intimacy, platonic male intimacy because it makes us uncomfortable. Like, I don't get it. Like, it's so strange. It is one of the weirdest things. But I was actually thinking about this too as we started like putting together these episodes and trying to think of a good on-screen platonic male friendship. And my hard part was that they all seem to be psychic. (laughs) You know what I mean? Where like they never really discuss their feelings. They never, never, like you can take Ocean's 8 as a great example where, you know, some of them are like really good friends who have known each other for years. And somehow without actually saying their feelings or what they're thinking, they all know what they're thinking mm. and they all know how they're feeling. And we're like, yeah, we get it. Like, cause it's on screen and we like understand what you're portraying, 
this is not healthy. This is not a good thing. We love a bad boy, Ellen. We love a- I mean, yes. <laughs> but, but it's unrealistic. It's, yeah. un- it's absolutely unrealistic. Um, nothing says A plus TV than a middle-aged white guy on a revenge plot. That's like all the movies that we have. And I'm a part of the problem. I love John Wick. I will watch the hell out of John Wick. But when you think about it, you're like, we have so many movies like this that just perpetuates this unfeeling machine, badass human. Or that he does feel, but he doesn't have to say anything. People just know how right. he's feeling and they they cater to him right. because they just know. And like that is that is so toxic because no one – I'm sorry. No one is psychic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can guess how you're feeling. My guess is not as good as you telling me. You know what I mean? And right. me then being like, okay, what do you need? Yeah, the language of this is what I need right now. I don't think I've ever really had anyone like I'm anyone of my guy friends or any guys I've dated like say that to me. Ever. You know, it's usually just expressed through rage. I mean, honestly. A lot of it through rage or well, just don't think about it. Right. Just don't do this. Yeah. And deflecting. you're like, ah, mm, <laughs> that's but we not how that works. But like, it's also just like we continue to create the problem. And I say we as like a society and, and mostly I'm speaking Western society because we put these unfeeling, stoic, quote, quote, manly men on pedestals. We put the Sylvester Stallones and the Arnold Schwarzeneggers and that like epitome of just hyper masculinity on a pedestal. And I, I've got like, if you have ever been in a relationship with a guy and he's crying and you told him to stop crying, that's what girls do. You're part of the fucking problem yeah. because you are just reinforcing this ideal that men are not allowed to feel. And as a result, it just the shit rolls downhill and it affects everyone when like a huge part of our society is like not allowed to have feelings. Yeah. Honestly. So I did get one response. Yay. That I'm going to read because it's so good. And Andrew sent this in. Thank you so much, Andrew, for telling the story. Uh, And I think it super applies. And it is a happy note in this tragic tale. And it goes, hey, here's a letter on friendship and stuff. Masculinity has always made me uncomfortable. Back in elementary school, when girls had cooties and I would eat lunch at the girls' table, I remember some boys asking me why. I just told them, well, they're nice to me. Because it seemed like all the boys ever did was be mean to each other and scream, and it was just too much for me to handle when I was six. So growing up, I developed most of my friendships with women. To this day, the vast majority of my closest friends are women. But it never fully hit me how different men and women were socialized until I went off to college and suddenly had a group of guy friends. The thing that stuck out to me the most was like fucking drought of affection between men. I was so used to hugging or locking arms when we walked down or just being loving with my friends that I didn't realize there were a shit ton of men that just aren't touched at all. And I hated that. So I did what anyone would do. I made it weird until they accepted it. I would hold my guy friends' hands when when we were walking. I would hold onto them after they tried to do the one second, I promise I'm not gay bro hug. I would sit next to them when we watched a movie. In only a few months, I had this group of guy friends that were much more affectionate and open. We suddenly could talk about the things that were bothering us or fears of what we were hoping for. It just really opened up everything for us. We would still be mean to each other and we were loud and did a lot of traditionally masculine things, but now we could also cry around each other if we were upset, so I counted it as a win. Then I moved to my current city and had to build that up all over again. I noticed that a lot of people get depressed after college because adulthood is isolating. Everyone is busy and they get partners and they have goals. It's a lot. So I had to resort to social media to kind of keep that spark alive, which brought me to my absolute favorite thing from the way women socialize. And every guy should do this with the bros. 
gas up their selfies. I promise this is so much fun. Your guy friend posts a gym selfie, hit him with seven fire emojis. Give him a look at my guy achieving his goals and looking gorgeous. <laughs> Maybe pepper sent in some okay with a couple hard eyes. It will literally make his day, even if he gets weird about it. Push through the weird. There's good stuff on the other side of that. Now I have another group of guy friends and we all do this to each other. The phrase king support kings gets said a lot when people ask us what the fuck we're doing. But subverting the way we're taught about how men are supposed to socialize is kind of my constant battle against masculinity becoming toxic. Because there's a lot of good masculinity out there. There's just a lot of muck on top of it. Just ease into it and make jokes to lighten the mood and keep at it. You just have to push through the weird. That made me so emotional. I know. Thank you, um, Andrew. That was yeah, really that, that I, was really beautiful. <laughs> it's needed. And I think I love that, like pushing through the weird. I think, oh my God. Yeah, because it's like, how do we change? Where do we go from here? We acknowledge that there is a problem. We acknowledge that like systemically there is a problem. And there is a lot of things out of our control about the way that we were raised. And we are all just really absorbing our parents' trauma. But I think that there's a lot to be said for self-accountability because I know so many cishet men that are amazing people. And you can only blame your past and your upbringing for so much. A lot of people are struggling with mental health. A lot of people are struggling day to day, but they push through and come out the other side and you have to work on yourself. That's why we say all the time, you hold yourself accountable for your own bullshit and you do the work necessary to make yourself a better person. Because saying that, I wasn't allowed to cry as a child is very upsetting and we're acknowledging that and that is very hard and it is hard in a way that we as women will not understand. However, that excuse cannot be written for the rest of your life because we know better now and other men are pushing through the weird and they're making the effort to be better. You can do it too. It's nothing outside of anybody's capability to achieve. Absolutely. That was so well said. Thanks. Yeah, I, I think because I've been sitting here and I'm listening to all these facts and statistics and stories. And I feel for them as much as much as I can never going through that, right? Like I feel for these people. But I think the biggest thing that really sits with me is like, but there's so many people in the world who have pushed through such hard, horrible barriers you know, um, who have been through some real shit (laughs) just like this or more so or less. So it doesn't matter. They've been through some shit absolutely, and are now adults and still working through their trauma and what they were taught as kids. And they've done better and become better and educated themselves because they've been been like, I don't want to feel like this anymore. Why do I feel this way? And did the research and did the work um, and I'm not saying like, well, if you're d- a depressed man, it's your own fucking fault. <laughs> like, right. I don't mean it that way. I'm just like thinking on it of like, well, there has to be something, right? There has to be some accountability of like, why am I feeling this way? And moving forward from there. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I mean, life is forever. <laughs> not to say that, you know, your pain isn't real. Like, I get it. Yeah. Like, you know? Well, absolutely. Like, your pain is real and valid and what you went through is valid. However, it does not dictate the way you live the rest of your life. We are constantly in metamorphosis. And the, the way that we can be the best people we can be and contribute the best to society and be the best, like, partner, lover, friend, you know, mother, father, sister, brother – is to work on yourself. I mean, and honestly, there's almost no excuse in this age of internet and, and communication and connecti- connectivity 
that the internet brings. It's the same way if you have a very severe depression or mental illness, you take medication because you want to get better and that's how you be better. It's the same way that as white people, we have to constantly educate ourselves and unlearn like racist tendencies we've been taught. It's the same thing with toxic masculinity. And women have this too. If, if Like I said, if you've ever made a, a masculine partner cry because boys don't cry and you're hearing this and you're like, oh shit, I've done that. Now's your opportunity to do better because toxic masculinity like affects all of us in very, very negative ways. Right. I need a smoke break. Like I want to get my final thoughts together. You did so good on this. Oh, and wow. it, you, Thanks, brought, you brought the fucking facts. It was sad. It was so sad, but it just was like, it just you can't have a conversation about healthy male friendships without talking about why it's so hard to find stories about healthy male friendships. Yeah. And it's very important. And I felt like this was very important to me. And like so many people I love are, are struggling with this. And like so many people that are important to me are consistently going through this. And it's just it sucks, man. The patriarchy yeah, sucks. It does. And it, there's so many societal things on top of all of this. Oh God. Just like yeah, let's take a yeah, let's take a smoke break. <laughs> yeah. today we learned that everything's depressing like usual but i i'm sorry everyone that it went kind of on this sour note but it just feels important to talk about i also think it's up to all of us to smash the patriarchy with a hammer yes and with a with the chair in the face because it affects all of us and it it sucks i don't you know i i i have I, I'm struggling with the fact of a, a guy, a, let's take a 30-year-old, right? A 30-year-old man that you meet and he's like, well, I was told not to cry a lot when I was a kid. And it's like, yeah, it's really horrible. You're allowed to cry. You can have those emotions. Like, I'm here for you. And then they just refuse right. to change is my heart, is the hard thing. I want to validate and I will validate the, <laughs> the absolute obstacle course that I can only assume most men go through growing up. I validate, um, empathize, but let's do better now. There, There is so much at your fingertips to start learning and growing and changing. And it's up to all of us. I will say too, though, TikTok has changed my life. <laughs> what? Yeah, because I I ended up on this like feminist algorithm that I am I'm obsessed with. And a lot of what's showing up for me is men talking about this and men talking about even protecting women or like how the patriarchy affects them, you know, or talking about their traumas. Yeah. Being very vulnerable. And I love it. Oh, I love amazing. it so much more than like the the, the straight heck, you know, whatever guys being like, oh my god, it was like a girl put on chapstick and then like leaned in to kiss me. And like I I'm like 
over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm loving the vulnerable guys on TikTok who who are speaking their truths and speaking their their mind and really standing up for what they believe in. Right. And yeah, I think that we're we're slowly making strides to to have the conversation that vulnerability is not a weakness and a weakness isn't a bad thing. And I think when what we can do is when we see men having these conversations in these spaces, don't comment on it in a negative way, only uplift those voices and spread that word and normalize that behavior. That's how it gets better. Speak up. And when people are speaking up, don't be like, oh, you're a fucking pussy. Like, get the fuck out of here with that. Like, and to, to go back to your earlier point, you know, you can have it rough growing up and you can have a lot of things that influence your behavior today that we can empathize with, but it's not an excuse for shitty, misogynistic, violent behavior. Correct. Like that you can't you can't excuse violence because of past traumas. Your past traumas do not define you. And it's it's okay that they stay with you and you, you learn from them and they, and it's hard, you know. It's just not an excuse. Right. And and we're not saying it's easy. I think it's always easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. It absolutely. takes a lot of therapy. We're literally asking people to break out of the chains of society if put into them. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not an easy ask, and but it's And therapy an is one. not cheap. So, like, mm-hmm. there are a lot of different obstacles, obviously, in breaking the stigma. But I think, I think it's, it, you know, you would like to believe that the facts speak for themselves. I know some people run from facts. You just show people some facts. They're like, stick harder to their point. And you're like, yeah. I don't. Okay. Yeah. I think being open to dialogue, being open to communication is like one of the first major steps. Yeah. You know? And give people space to feel feelings and feel emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it was, it was so interesting. So I was hanging out with my sister and I have a little nephew. He is, I'm a, obsessed with him. He's just the cutest thing. And he dropped something on his bare foot in the garage and he got ready to cry and like looked at me and I was like, that must have really hurt. Are you okay? Like, what do you need? And my sister turned to me and she's like, that was really good validation. That was good because of course that hurt. Yeah. He's a four-year-old boy. Let him cry if he needs to cry. I I would cry if I oh, drop something. I whenever I stub my toe, I cry. Oh my god, <laughs> like, I know. Toe stubs are no joke. They're not. Um, but that's like a mini example, right? Of what you can start doing so young. Or like I know my nephew for a long time, especially at two and three, like was obsessed with getting his nails painted. Oh, and yeah. yes, it was like non-toxic, you know, paint for kids. Um and a boy at school told him that pink was for girls, not boys. This is a two three-year-old boy two or yeah. three it's so this, crazy how the gender biases just come on so young and you know the thing is is you know me and my partner and of course like his mom and dad like we're like no pink is for everybody it's a color it does not matter yeah it you can wear whatever color shirt you want to wear and you can paint your nails if you want to paint them and you can paint them any color you want to paint them and yeah. i think really like Putting things like that into your everyday life, you know, if you don't have a nephew or a son or, um, you know, whatever, like just putting, putting these like, well, you can wear whatever you want. Yeah. Even if it's a dress, who cares? It's very, there's a lot of airflow. 
Am I making sense? I'm going on all these rants because I'm just so mad about well, all of this. Well, it plays into like gender roles like, and these forced gender roles that we're putting on children who like just want to paint their nails and wear pink without your fucking judgments. And they can cry. Like stop judging two-year-olds. Get a fucking hobby. Go read a book. Stop judging two-year-olds. You yes. asshole. Well, like just my partner paints his nails and yeah. I love that. And I remember- Mine um, too. Yeah, like I, I love it. <laughs> I'm a fan. I love, I love just like these little tiny- like revolutions against like gender binary gender binaries and like and it's also fun to go get a manicure together but just I, go fucking do it right uh, getting your nails done is fucking amazing um but i remember someone i worked with just kind of was like i don't like when guys paint their nails and I, I looked at her and i said why and she like couldn't give me an answer she's like i don't know i just don't and i was like no but why like why what's the big deal and she because she was like i don't really like guys that have long hair and i'm like it's okay to be like I'm not attracted to that. We all have like our preferences, but also why? And I'll tell you why. Because of toxic masculinity makes you think that because these guys don't have the like, short hair and like bare nails, they're boring. No, I'm kidding. It's just like <laughs> <laughs> I even go back to a conversation we had. We had this like so long ago. We were like dog sitting for one of your siblings, and um, it go went into this whole conversation of like I don't care what my partner wears. Mm-hmm. If my partner came up to me tomorrow and was like, I'm wearing a dress today. Look at my dress. I'd be like, you look fucking fantastic. Like, what does it matter? I'm not embarrassed. I, I don't am. give a shit because I don't want anyone telling me what I'm going to wear. Why the hell would I do it to someone else? Right. You know, right. I don't care what my person is wearing. I don't care if their nails are painted. None of that bothers me right. ever. And I, I think it's a question that you have to ask yourself is like, why would – why would if your partner likes putting on mascara and they're a man and they want to wear mascara, why does that bother you? Right. Do you not like seeing their big beautiful eyes? Like I don't understand. Oh my God, men in mascara, people in mascara is just super hot. Mascara is great. <laughs> like it's just. Uh. But yeah, I, I just I think that's a really good starting point. Is if someone you know, if you're like I don't like when masculine people have painted nails, it's like well why. Start with like asking that very simple question. If you can't give an answer. Well, or if the answer is because that's for girls. Be right. like, I'm sorry, what? No, like that's gender is a made up concept. And like these things that you're forcing on children at such a young age have very damaging effects. And I won't read the suicide facts again because it's very depressing. But like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just, it has very serious consequences and we need to do our best for like our children and people coming into the world to create a better world than we left it. And I think the facts that you even gave about like even in like a serious breakup that guy friends will just be like, let's go drink, get laid. Like we're going to wingman for you and we're going to do this, this and that. And it's like, you know, we hear all these stories growing up about how women, you know, were already thinking about breaking up and like emotionally started planning for it and then did the breakup. And yes, they were really sad right after, but then they're the first to get over it. Yeah. Why we see so many goddamn zombies. Um, because I don't think men are able to go through that emotional process at all. I think, yeah, I without, think there's because, a lot more hurdles. Because they don't have the support. Uh, and granted, you, you know that this is very generalized, but they don't have the same support system of being able, you know, if they're like, I'm thinking about breaking up with so-and-so, all their friends are like, yeah, she's a fucking bitch or she's she's ugly or like, you know what I mean? Like they just, they, there's like, you know, like none of that is needed in those situations. It'd be like, well, why? What's going on? And it just kind of helps you understand like why when there's a breakup, 
the the man in that relationship kind of goes like very like keeps coming back stalkerish it's because they don't have that emotional support in like any other aspects of their life so they just creep back into old ex's messages and try to like get that going again and maybe not always because it could just be you know classic misogyny of just trying to sleep with someone but it just kind of like opens a door into kind of like understanding all the people who send in like send awful misogynistic messages. It doesn't excuse the behavior. Oh no, yeah. But you're just like, oh, it it sheds like a little sliver of a light on it of like why this is such a systemic problem. Well, I I definitely think what you've brought today is like where it starts. Yeah, this For is like sure. this is just like very, very skin deep. Like not very. Oh no, we could go in such a rabbit hole of how dangerous like this toxic masculinity is, and uh, the fact that we condition men to not be emotional and not be vulnerable and. But it is too, it is a that is for those smarter than maybe, me. Maybe for another rainy day. It is raining today when we when we are recording this. Oh, but perfect. We will uh we will save the rest of it for another another day. You did so good. Thank this was you. this was really, really good to And next week we'll be happier. Next yes. week we'll be happier. Next week we are doing the female female platonic friendships. Um it, which will be more uplifting, y'all. I promise. Yeah. Sorry about it. But thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And if you made it this far, you know, do some self-care. This was like a lot of heavy lifting today. Tell your bros you love them. Yeah. I'll let make you, it a little weird. Make it push past the weird. It's such a good message to take away from it. But thank you so much again, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. See you next Tuesday. Bye. If you like our show, please be sure to rate and review us five stars on your podcast app. To stay updated, you can follow us on all the social media at Hate Mail Podcast. That's spelled H-A-T-E-M-A-L-E. Podcast. We also have a Patreon with three tiers of monthly subscriptions to help keep the show going for the next 85 years. If you have any weird DMs you want to send our way, be sure to send them to our email address, hatemailpodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to our producer, Steve Lebeds. Music is by Robert Bach, who can be found at The Well-Tempered on all social media. Cover art is by Rowan Gray, also known as at nothing.machine. Thank you so much for listening and see you next Tuesday.